does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, I don't know, soap opera, hourglass. I can just picture my mom watching these back in the day. It kind of feels that way right now. Young and the Restless. <laughs> Young and the Restless. Thank you, Eddie Garrison. Um, feels that way on West 56th Street about the Indianapolis Colts. I'm Kevin Bowen. We're back. Eddie Garrison's across the way. These Wednesday podcasts were originally, my thought process was, this will be a great preview each week. You know, we'll be done with kind of the previous game. If there are a couple storylines that have emerged, you know, injury updates now that there has been a practice. Um, and instead, I feel like they've just turned into massive news podcasts. Hell, I probably could have done an emergency one yesterday. Uh, Marcus Brady gets fired at what, 10 15, and then Naheem Hines is traded to the Buffalo Bills just before the deadline at 4 o'clock. We'll chat all about that today. Um, we will, I guess we do have to give a Patriot preview, don't we? Or a yeah. Patriot prediction yeah. there. Um, so we'll do that. Uh, let's begin here, Eddie. Well, first off, how you doing, man? Doing okay. I mean, I was surprised to see Brady go, but, uh, I mean, it is what it is, right? Yeah, welcome to life in the NFL and again, welcome to life for a football team that I would argue in the Jim Mercer era has never had a season with the expectations going into it turn so quickly. Yeah. Um, again, the preseason hype and the Matt Ryan and, hey, Carson Wentz was the problem and all of that. And now to where you are, you know, trading away one of your your pillar players is probably too much of a, you know, statement that – isn't totally inaccurate but that's a guy that stood for a lot of things you want to be about and of course had a lot of offseason hype driven by Chris Boward and Frank Reich from day one I mean from day one of the offseason they were driving that home and now here you are and you've traded him for Zach Moss and a six-round pick and we can go over um, some of that I do want to begin if you don't mind Eddie with Tyquan Lewis that's fine um Patella, rupture patella in the left knee. Last year was the right knee. I feel awful. Absolutely awful for the dude. First off, like the eeriness of it all. It happens one day to the year of him suffering the same injury in the other knee. Um, the same week of the calendar year. Right. Halloween weekend. It was Halloween last year, the day before Halloween this year. Um, he's in a contract year. You know, when you see him get carted off, I don't know if my brain is just, you know, I don't know. I just think about injuries all the time. But I thought to myself, is that the last time we'll see him ever, like, play in the NFL? And, again, that's probably too harsh of me. But in the hierarchy of knee injuries, Patel is worse than ACL and MCL. I'm, frankly, pretty impressed by how he looked this year and coming back from it. Um and so I just feel terrible for him and wanted to mention that out of the gate. Uh, Pay was back to practice today, so we'll see um, if three practices are enough considering he's missed three games. Uh, you need Dayo Adangbo, and you need him now. You need him now. 
You really, really need the versatility that Taekwon gave you. I mean, Taekwon is one of the more consistent, versatile, productive guys you have on your team. And that's so key when it's on the defensive line because you rotate so many bodies up front. You know, he was a part of your rush package. I mean, hell, he got hurt early in that final drive. One of the first couple plays, maybe it was the first play, of that final drive. And look how quiet the pass rush was on Mm -hmm. that final drive. I thought I saw a stat yesterday. He had the third highest pass rush rate in the NFL last season. Or excuse me, last last week. (laughs) Much different than last season. And basically what I think you have with him, Eddie, is you have a guy that just, he wins a lot of one-on-one. And he gets a lot of one-on-one because you have Buckner and you have Stewart. And you know people are probably a little bit more paying attention to Yannick Ngakwe. Um, and you need him. You know, Dio has not, again, been the versatile guy yet. And Ngakwe weighs 235 pounds soaking wet. And Ben Banigou's been Ben Banigou. So this is a big loss. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. I think you watch the scene. You know, the, 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 the scene from Sunday stands out to me. Flags over the bench. All his teammates come around him. Terry McLaurin went over there as college mm-hmm. teammate. Um, it's just, just a tough watch. So I um, feel feel terrible for Taekwon Lewis. Yep, Taekwon, 14 tackles, uh, one sack, and a couple tackles for loss. Um, I mean, it doesn't really show the impact he made when you look at the when you look at his raw statistics. But like you said, um, he was a consistent pass rusher that the Colts had been lacking um, in terms of pass what pass rush. Uh, win rate. So after, now that we've addressed that, um, kind of want to go into trade deadline recap. Um, yeah, you want to start with Brady or go Naeem Hines? Let's start with Naeem Hines. Yeah. You trade, obviously you've already said it, you trade Naeem Hines, you get a six-round pick and Zach Moss in return. Uh, J.J. Stankovic had this statistic yesterday that Zach Moss is only like one of two running backs that hasn't allowed a sack in pass protection that. coverage. Um, so that could be, in my eyes, a, a big reason why they wanted Zach Moss out of all this. Cons- Over 100 pass attempts, right? It's not Correct. Like he's only been out there for you know 20 pass plays. Correct, yeah. So that's just kind of where my mind went. And like Once I saw that, I was like, oh, it makes sense. Your offensive line struggling to pass protect. Kind of makes sense to get a guy like that, you know, bring him in as an extra blocker. What are your thoughts? Um, you know, Eddie, I've made it very clear that I wanted the Colts to be open to selling and try and find desperate teams. This doesn't scream that to me. You know, it, it just doesn't. So, um, I think a little little kind of bummed, honestly. And part of it is the Heinz affinity and just the lack of usage for Heinz. Look, Naeem Heinz is not Alvin Kamara. He's not Christian McCaffrey. He's not Austin Eckler. But I do feel like if those guys are A talents, I felt like Hines could have been utilized to get closer to that B level. Whereas if you look at his production, you just kind of look at it and think, man, was that it? Um, this year, you know, six touches per game. You know, Frank Reich thought it'd be 10 touches per game. I mean, think about that. You've less than half of what you thought it would be. I mean, that's or just over half of what you thought it would be. That's, that's damning, frankly. Um, and I almost felt like I saw the return you got for him and thought, that's an indictment on your lack of usage. And that, and again, nothing to that stat, but Eddie, the return on Naeem Hines is a guy that, I guess, pass protects well. That's the first thing you say well about the player. Yep. And then it's Buffalo's draft pick. Well, we know where Buffalo's going to be drafting. It's going to yeah. be at the bottom of those rounds. So it's either going to be pick 200 and. 
105 or 210, or it's going to be picking 160, 170. Um, and I still haven't seen the official parameters on that pick. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I just felt like it would have been ideal if you could have moved a guy that I wouldn't have considered like a future piece for you kind of the next couple years. And, that, and that's how I view Hines. Like I still view Hines as a guy that can be important for you, can help a quarterback, whoever's playing quarterback. Again, he's extremely durable, which at that position is really rare. His contract, it, it turned into a bad contract because of the lack of usage. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that bad of a contract if you're going to be committed to using him. Um, so I think all those things popped into my head. You know, when I saw Schefter initially report that on Monday, it screamed, and I don't know, maybe I'm defining it too black and white. It was kind of out of left field, too. Scream trader request to me. That That's what it, you know, Schefter did not have one other name he mentioned on Monday in a public tweet as a player that is drawing interest from other teams. I mean, it's less than 24 hours from a trade deadline that ended up seeing 10 different trades happen, the most in NFL history, and the only player Adam Schefter is tweeting about on Monday is Naheem Hines. That clearly is coming from the Hines camp of my client either wants to be moved or I think it should be well served that he is moved. And whatever it is, an organization that prides itself on making sure their players feel welcome and all of that, he wasn't feeling that. Um, and again, I think Hines handled it in a really, really good manner. Um, but th- that just, and that's obviously played out to where now that I think that's become a little bit more public um, with that. Uh, Jason, one of our loyal listeners, <laughs> messaged me and goes, that Hines trade wasn't selling, it was donating. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like that's a good way to put it. Uh, somebody else messaged me and said, uh, Ballard got fleeced. It, it's hard to get fleeced when you didn't use him on your own. Yeah. You know, like it, you could have contributed to that. Um, having said all of that, two things that stand out to me, Eddie, that I want to remind us and make sure we look at the full picture of this. You did save some money, cap wise. So I think that is a positive out of it. Now, insert your joke about using that cap space here. Um, but I do think that is something that we should acknowledge. Zach Moss on his rookie deal comes off the books after next season. I don't think he's got any guarantees for next year. Hines uh, is still under contract for two more years. And I would think the other thing is, Eddie, let's picture 2022 football at the professional level and at the collegiate level. What have we seen recently in the NFL draft with trends? We have seen an absurd amount of wide receivers. Mm hmm being evaluated, having to be graded. You know, Ballard's been very public about this, of like, there's so many wideouts. Um, because the game has turned. The game is much more pass-happy. I think there will be more Naheem Hines-like players in future drafts. Look at Travis Etienne, for example, in Jacksonville. Golden example. Um, and, I mean, watch your college football team. Notre Dame's got a guy in Chris Tyree that's kind of like this. Um there is a there is a rotation of backs that we continue to see more and more of in in the college game and obviously at the NFL level as well. And part of that rotation is you want to diversify your skill group. So guys like Hines. Now again, Hines started as a wideout at NC State, turned running back. You know that is a little bit different 
but I think we're going to see more and more of these guys. So I, I, I bring that up to say it's, it is running back at the end of the day. Yes, he does play a different position than just your normal RB. He is unique, but I do think we will see a few more of those types of guys, and that pool will be deeper in future drafts. Having said that, I don't want to diminish this dude missed one football game in five years. Yeah, The dude was your punt returner and an important offensive piece that you trusted, and he's a great pro. And to check all those boxes is not a given, particularly for a day three pick. And that's what Hines was. So, um, again, I want to make sure we lay out, you know, good, bad, just just general thoughts on all of that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, to me, something that stands out with this move is Hines is one of the more coveted players in terms of setting that culture in the locker room. And... The- to get rid of one of your foundational pieces of your said culture, and we know how much Chris Ballard, you know, values a good culture and the locker room. I think it's pretty alarming that you give away one of those guys like that for such a lower cost. That I think that's a really good point. I mean, I found it an interesting day. I walked in that locker room and Jordan Wilkins is at the locker that Naheem Hines was just at. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> what is going on right here? You know, 2018 draft pick leaves and now his running back draft mate. Comes back into the building. We'll get to that. I think that's a little bit more Jonathan Taylor related. We'll touch on that when we focus on New England. Um, And I guess I've already kind of said this point, Eddie, but I think it's worth mentioning again. If you were going to hand me a list of the top 15 highest paid Colts, I I think Hines falls into that group, and you said, who is the easiest to replace with a day three pick? Hines would probably be one of the first couple names that I would mention. And again, this is a byproduct of the position that he plays, but I also want to throw that out there. And you look Um, at how Deion Jackson played. Yeah, I I do want to caution. I think Hines is different than Jackson. I agree. I I, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I I definitely hear you out, Eddie, and and the numbers are the numbers. I just think Hines is a little shiftier athlete, can do a little bit more in space. I don't know. Maybe Deion Jackson's going to catch a wheel route for 25 yards on on Sunday and, and... you know, tell me to shut up, but um, it is a loss. It is. You know, this is a guy, again, that I think did a lot for you, should have done more, and I think a lot of that is organizationally. There were moments where Hines dropped some balls, and, you know, he obviously wasn't perfect on ball security with, with punts, but um, the fact that you could count on him every week besides one for five years, uh, very, very rare, and a good dude. A really, really good dude. I know some people probably don't care about that, but um, you guys have heard me use the phrase quite often, who would I want marrying Rosie Bowen out of the Colts <laughs> locker room? Uh, I'd put Naheem Hines on a very, very short list. So, um, good for him. Hope he wins a ring in Buffalo. I do, too. Hopefully they utilize him in the right way. That and I'm offense. curious to see how that happens. You Because know, Josh Allen is not a checkdown dude. You know, Allen does not want to, but they still script up so much just beautiful. The read option, Isaiah McKenzie's a really unique weapon for them. You know safety over the top for Diggs, even Gabriel Davis, Dawson Knox is a very good tight end. So I do think he will have um, some great opportunities. They also have, you know, a lot of backs. And just how that rotates in midseason, I'll be curious. But if nothing else, Naheem Hines will be playing deeper into the season a lot longer than he would have been playing here. That's so, true. Good for him on that. He'll get more one-on-one matchups, I think, with linebackers when you factor in all those other 
uh, skill position players that Buffalo has. Uh, you kind of want to move on now to Marcus Brady? Yeah, uh, I guess just one last thing, Eddie, and you know we can talk about this a little bit later as we get into more off-season focused pods. But with the trade deadline passed, I wanted to give a quick rundown on free agents for 2023. Okay. Uh, Paris Campbell, Matt Pryor, Dennis Kelly, Yannick Ngakwe, Ben Banigou, Tyquan Lewis, Bobby Okereke, EJ Speed, Brandon Faison, Rodney McLeod, and Chase McLaughlin. That's, I think that's pretty much the list. It's certainly the notable names of the list. I'd say um, about three of those are the are probably the only ones I want to entertain bringing back. What about you? Yeah, I uh, I don't know if I stand on a table for anyone. And when I hear stand on a table, I'm thinking three year, fifteen million, and you know whatever, like big deal, multi year, yeah. yeah. Uh, significant money. There are some guys that I like on that list. Campbell certainly has played himself into that. Bobby O. Um, Bobby O, EJ Speed, you know, Chase McLaughlin at, at kicker. But it's just a class of like, ugh, you know, it's not. Now, this falls in line with the 2019 draft class, which wasn't a great class compared to 2018. So it's understandable while why this free agent class isn't great. Uh, then as far as draft picks, basically – They've got eight picks, one in each round. You get two in the sixth or the fifth, depending on where that Buffalo pick will fall. Um, The third rounder, assuming it'll be a third rounder for the Carson Wentz trade, that will replace what you gave up for Nick Cross. Now, again, you need to start cheering for Washington to lose again. (laughs) All of a sudden, Washington started to win, and I'm looking at that pick. I'm like, wait, that went down like 12 spots from where I remember it being last time I checked. Uh, now that Washington has won a couple games, so yeah, it's a bad case for the Colts right there. No, Washington's winning and without Carson Wentz, <laughs> that is a double double whammy to say the least. But the draft capital is just eh, not not as you know filled with ammo as you would like it to be heading into next April. So I wanted to sneak that in uh, before we get to Mark Brady. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Uh, the move of Marcus Brady being relieved of his duties or released uh, from the Indianapolis Colts surprise you at all? I was surprised. Yeah, I was. Because, you know, this is Frank Reich's first in-season firing of his tenure. Um, let's start here, Eddie. Uh, he's coordinator, Marcus Brady, offense coordinator. Um, I would say the amount of responsibility he has over the unit that comes before coordinator offense is vastly, vastly, vastly different than Gus Bradley with the defense or Bubba Ventrone with the special team. Can you elaborate on that for what you know, for or for whatever you've been able to piece together and kind of what Brady does on a day-to-day operation? Yeah, so basically all the offensive assistants have a role in the game plan. You know, Scotty Montgomery, for example, is big in the run-pass option game. He's a running backs coach. He comes from the collegiate level. Obviously, run-pass option, pretty prevalent there. I think you'll see Scotty Montgomery be like the public face now as the offensive coordinator. I don't think officially they'll give him that title, but... When coordinators meet the media, I would expect it to be Scotty Montgomery moving forward. Um, so basically, each of the assistants have pieces to the game plan. You put that together. It's collaborative. And then in the meetings, Monday through Saturday, that's Marcus Brady primarily being the lead voice in those meetings. Um, Frank Reich is never far away. 
he's never far away from the offense. So ultimately, and Frank said this today, I thought Frank was very honest of like, I am in charge of the offense. I'm the one that picks the 15 plays we're going to script out to start games. All of those things. Marcus Brady, I think, has an important voice to Frank Reich, but, you know, it's like the whatever, the head of marketing saying, I think we should do this, and the COO sitting in that meeting, and if the COO or the CEO doesn't like it, the COO or the CEO is going to speak up and say, oh, thank you, but I think we should do this. And that will be final say. Yeah. Um, I hope that's a little bit of detail. I mean, it's not a ton, I know. I mean, it's still a little bit vague, but um, as I said earlier, it's just totally different than Gus Bradley running the defense or Bubba Ventrone running special teams. It was something that I always found interesting. I guess this would have been last spring when Nick Sirianni takes a job in Philly. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, I wonder who the Colts will get as their OC. When Sirianni became OC, I'll never forget Frank Reich. We're downtown at the Marat or one of those theaters downtown they did like a cult season ticket town hall or something and we caught up with frank reich before that i think he had just hired nick and he's just gushing about nick and basically being like i thought about him for a long time of if i ever got the chance to be a head coach i'd want him to be my offensive coordinator and i'm thinking wow that's really high praise and i'm like watching these sirianni interviews and then i meet sirianni and when you meet him he just he looks like a dude that could go have 10 beers in Broad Ripple yeah. tomorrow night. And you just love to watch football with them. And he'd yeah. be cussing and he'd be, you know, hooting and hollering. A perfect and, fit for Philly. A perfect fit for, for Philly, but not who I would have guessed would be Frank Reich's fit. But I thought Frank had great perspective around it. Um, and honestly, Eddie, I talked to our boss, David Wood, a little bit ago about this. He's like, when you're in positions of management and you're hiring people to be below you you're not looking for the same personalities necessarily you're looking for obviously someone that believes the same core stuff as you consistent messages but you want to have a variety i think of personalities maybe leadership styles you know things like that it's important in any business yeah and so i thought reich was really conscious at that time with sirianni then when i hear the news of marcus brady being elevated nothing against marcus brady but I'm thinking to myself, whoa, he is like exactly like Frank Reich. I mean, calm, cool, collected, like very subdued. Um, I'm just I'm thinking to myself, man, that guy running the meetings Monday through Saturday is going to be very similar to Frank. You know, do players get complacent? Will there be a lack of urgency? You know, like that thought just kind of crept into my head. And I don't know, maybe – I'm overthinking it, but I'm curious, is that any sort of reason why we see this offense in a historical rut to where it's been 10 games without a halftime lead, haven't scored on an opening possession all year long? It just seems like that unit has lacked a little bit of oomph, a little bit of Mm -hmm. on edge. Um, And I think you point to every position group for that. it, it's just it's wild to me. I mean, it is wild to me that like, and part of me thinks this about Sam Ellinger related. You fire your offensive coordinator one week after Sam Ellinger makes his starting debut. So mm-hmm. either you are 
hamstringing your rookie QB or your young QB severely, or you're pretty much saying your offense coordinator has done nothing of importance and it's not going to be that big of a loss. You know, it's just so rare to see that move when you've, again, committed to going very young uh, at quarterback. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. It, anything else on your end, Brady-related? Uh, to all those people who wanted Brady calling the plays. Yeah. And I was just like, I mean, he's got CFL history, Eddie, but... That's it. Not a lot, you know? And I, I never thought Frank would give that up. Um, I'll just say this, and by the way, I forgot to tease it earlier. We got a Dane Brugler interview that we're going to insert into the pod here uh, in a few minutes. Dane Brugler, the outstanding draft analyst for The Athletic. Uh, I really enjoyed the interview. He got de- very detailed with us on you know, mainly the quarterback class for 2023 coming up in the draft, uh, but certainly some position groups to watch. We asked him about a few of the local uh, guys, Purdue and Notre Dame related, um, so we'll play that. Uh, on, on the podcast, he joined our morning show, Kevin and Quarry, earlier this week. It's myself and Mark Dykton, our producer. Those will be the two um, voices that you hear with Dane. One last thing I want to mention, Eddie, is I'm sitting there last night thinking, boy, I could use some liquor. Um, I decided not to. <laughs> I decided to just go to bed. Thankfully, I did because Max had a whew, quite the night. Um, I'm like, wow. This has been a wild year. Yeah. You know, like Maddie, my wife, is a very, like, very casual fan. I mean, casual fan to the nth degree. And I mean, when I walk in and she's down this multiple times this year, she's like, wait, they benched them? They they fired a, a coach, an offensive coordinator? Like, she's done that now several times. And I'm like, yeah. And it's just Halloween. It's not even December. It's just been one of those seasons where. And I know this might sound harsh, but it's how I feel about this organization right now. You are year six of the GM, year five of the head coach, and your current operation's in shambles. Yeah. But we still haven't got to the decisions at quarterback, head coach, and GM. And you had all these little cast-offs. And even a little thing like, you know, one week ago, you're benching Matt Ryan. One week after, Jim Irsay saying his leadership's like Peyton Manning. And then you're turning to a quarterback that's never thrown a pass in the league. And now you're firing your offense coordinator, and it screams scapegoat. And Before that, you switch up the offensive line on a short week. Well, yeah, I mean, you've had nine different dudes start on the O-line, none of them due to injury, which is never a good thing um, at the midway point of the season. Uh, and then Hines, I mean, again, pillar would be too, I think, aggressive of a term, but a guy that you lauded maybe more than any other player on your roster this offseason as a guy that will take an uptick in his role and his usage, and you trade him for a guy in Zach Moss that wasn't dressing recently for Buffalo and the 200-some pick in the draft. It's just, it's such a foreign, humbling time for the Colts. And again, foreign is a compliment to the franchise because they haven't been like this. This has not been the norm. They are not this team that, like, I go on Buffalo radio today and they're ending the interview like, Man, the Colts are kind of a they should be on hard knocks again this year. You know, it, and I'm like, gosh, the Colts are that. The Colts are kind of they are one of the jokes of the NFL right now. When when you look at the news items, I would mm-hmm. say more so even than than their record. Obviously, the record isn't great and 
there's evidence to back that up of you know 30th of the league in scoring and again without these halftime leads always playing from behind have scored over 20 once in the last 10 games um I mean, your owner's gotten involved with stuff. It's just, it's a lot, Eddie. It, 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 it's a lot, man. Um, and we still got nine games to go. I guess the final thing for me that I can think of uh, before we get to the Dane, uh, Dane Brugler interview is we, you've already kind of voiced your opinion about in previous pods and certainly on the morning show about how Frank is this offensive coordinator and head coach, and now he has that official title almost because he's, taking responsibility of it how much more pressure is there on him now not only just as the head coach but now as the guy who is taking the full reins of the offense to get this team I I, I don't want to say winning but like to interesting exciting and watchable offense yeah that's whip out the rosary (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a great question. You know, honestly, when they fire Brady, I'm thinking, okay, more on Frank's plate in those offensive meetings Monday through Saturday. How much does that take away from the other responsibilities he has? Yeah, you know, again, as the head coach, um, you know, New England and Vegas, your next two opponents, they have, they've shown some pretty bad football at times this year. Obviously, you play the Eagles the next week, and then you have Pittsburgh. So if you want to take it just in a November point of view. Those are three football teams, take out Philly, that have had struggles this year. You know, I there's a reason why the Colts are still, what, is a five-and-a-half-point underdog, I believe, for Sunday. Um, I assume they'll be an underdog next week with the Raiders, and who knows, maybe T.J. Watt comes back uh, by the time the Colts play the Steelers, too, uh, in the month of November. We'll see how that one plays out. Um, but like the month of November is much better than the month of December, which I think is a lot more difficult with Dallas and the Vikings, you know, trading for TJ Hawkinson, the Chargers, um, and they got the Giants on New Year's Day. So this, if there's one last ditch effort, I, I guess it's here. Um, now Jonathan Taylor's banged up, and I'm not holding my breath, but. New England, I don't expect New England to run away from you <laughs> on Sunday. They don't appear to have an offense uh, capable of of doing that. Um, but man, it's a um, it's a very very interesting time. This goes back to the Monday pod a little bit, Eddie. Of, yeah, you know we got the questions on Jim Irsay's comments from over the weekend, and I put z- I put one percent of like validity into those comments. Because when Jim Irsay made that to, um, you know, who was it? Mortensen and Ian Rappaport. Since then, you've blown a two-score lead at home to a backup quarterback. You fired your offensive coordinator and you traded Naheem Hines. <laughs> Think about that. I, that's what's transpired since Jim Irsay's comments. So I'm just kind of like, no one's safe, man. I mean, no one's safe. Um, Blue might be the only one safe inside that building right now, um, but that's that. That's where you're at. It's a um, yeah. If there's ever going to be a time, and we can get more into this in the New England part or even the Vegas part. Vegas has a little bit more work to do, but like you play two teams the next two weeks that will be in the wild card mix if they're going to be in any mix. Mm-hmm. This season, so these are games you gotta have even more if you want to even start thinking about the crazy. Hey, we need to take care of business 
and you know try and beat some teams in the AFC. Well, yeah, it also helps when you got these two wild card teams. And for those that want to go continue down the glass half full here for a minute or two, cheer for Kansas City, cheer for Buffalo, and cheer for Baltimore. I guess some might say, well, Kansas City get them in the wild card, so you know it could potentially be a head to head. Again, ties kind of throw that out the window. But you just want those teams to beat everybody and run away with the division. So then the wild card records are a little bit worse. So I don't know if that's where you were going with that, but I apologize if I didn't answer it. Oh, no, you didn't. It's all good. Uh, you want to get in Dane Brugler now? Yes. Again, this is Dane Brugler, NFL draft analyst for The Athletic, with us on our morning show earlier this week. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I think he's the best draft analyst out there. Uh, Dane Brugler from The Athletic is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. The Beast is his all-encompassing... I don't even know how many pages it is. Uh, an absolute must-read that'll come out just before the draft each year. I think it's fun to go back and look at you know, past prospects. I did it this past week with Sam Ellinger just to get uh, Dane's thoughts on when Ellinger came out of Texas and um, so many great tidbits in there. And uh, Dane is busy working on that. Looking ahead to the 2023 draft coming up in April. Dane, as always, thank you for the time, man. No, of course. Anytime. Good morning. Uh, I want to begin, I guess, with the quarterback class, Um, certainly with the Matt Ryan benching, the Sam Ellinger starting job, all eyes here in Indy on the quarterback class. Just your early thoughts on this year's group. Yeah, I think after last year where we saw one quarterback go in the first 73 picks, uh, anything was going to be an upgrade. And so this year with this uh, upcoming class, assuming – Bryce Young from Alabama uh, declares, assuming C.J. Stroud, uh, Ohio State declares, this is going to be a a much better quarterback class. Now, I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, like this group of can't-miss passers. It's not going to be to that level, but clearly an upgrade over what we saw last year. Um, And it'll be interesting because Bryce Young is, in my opinion, the best quarterback prospect in this draft. Uh, It's just if you can get past the size. Uh, he is a complete outlier in terms of his, not just his height. We've seen Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and, and shorter quarterbacks uh, be able to be productive in the league. But Bryce Young is not, he's not, he doesn't have the same build as those guys. Uh, you know, the last uh, 25 years, there's only been two quarterbacks that have been drafted over, of the 300 quarterbacks drafted, only two uh, were under six foot and under 200 pounds, like Bryce Young will be. And neither of those guys were drafted in the top three rounds. So Bryce Young, from a size perspective, is a complete outlier. But if you can get past that, he checks so many boxes that you're looking for at the position, the way he processes, the poise, uh, his athleticism to uh, use his legs, get outside the pocket, move the pocket, um, extend plays, and, and make things happen. He just His vision and instincts are really, really impressive, and, he, and he's very accurate on the move as well. So if I'm going to bet on one of these guys, it's going to be Bryce Young, even with the size concerns. Uh, I do like C.J. Stroud. I think he's a very accurate quarterback. Uh, and when things are in structure, it looks very pretty. I mean, he has the pacing, uh, the ball placement, uh, just – it makes it look very easy, but when things break down, when either he's moved from a spot or you know there's pressure that he's dealing with, 
that's where it's just he's not nearly as comfortable. And in the NFL, you have to be able to make things happen outside of structure. And that's why with C.J. Stroud, I still you know he's going to be an NFL starter, um, but I'm not. I don't love him as much as maybe you know others who think he should be the number one overall pick. If those two are on a tier, and maybe it's you know Bryce Young ahead of C.J. Stroud in your eyes, who would you put on that second tier uh, or, or third tier of quarterbacks? Yeah, I think it's Will Levis uh, from Kentucky, who um, he's definitely a complicated player uh, because physically he's the prototype. Size 6'4", 230, a really athletic and mobile guy, um, and there's nothing slow uh, about the way he moves. Uh, his release, his feet, um, he's a very, in, in, you know, in the NFL, you need tough guys, and this guy is physically tough. He can play through injuries. He's durable, and, you know, talking to scouts, they say that he has the intelligence to handle an NFL playbook. That's not, uh, you know, the processing part of it is not an issue for him. But the on-field results at Kentucky have just been too inconsistent. And so, uh, you know, what's the upside that he offers? Uh, that, that, that's where the answer to that question is going to be different from team to team. And they, as they view, okay, what's his ceiling? What, with our coaches, what more are we getting out of him? Um, you know, it's, it, it, he's dealing this year with, you know, offensive line that's uh, been struggling. Uh, you know, he lost his top weapon from a year ago. There's a new play caller, even though it's a very similar offense. So there's a lot of things that's working against Will Levis, but still you want to see better consistency on the field. Nonetheless, there's too many there's too many traits there that teams are going to say, hey, we can, with our coaching, this guy can win football games for us. So Will Levis is going to be a first-round pick. It's just a matter of how high. Um, but he's in that next tier. And then after that, I would put Tanner McKee from Stanford and then Hendon Hooker from, uh, from Tennessee, who's, who's a really – talented player clearly the Heisman favorite at this point uh but in that offense where it's a lot of half field reads um you know it's just it's a very quarterback friendly offense it, it can be a little bit of a tougher evaluation Dane one of the names I've seen uh obviously given the Colts situation uh one of the names I've seen in some very early mock drafts is Florida's Anthony Richardson so I didn't mm-hmm. hear his name mentioned in any of the names you, you ran off just a little bit earlier where does he rank for you and what do you see as his NFL potential yeah, he, he's so tough because he is so gifted. I mean, he is, he, he looks, he's an oversized linebacker, uh, just physically, the way he looks and the way he plays. Uh, but he run, he's going to run the 4 threes, four fours. I mean, just a phenomenal athlete. Uh, he's got an absolute hose for an arm, but uh, he not, has not been accurate. Um, you know, a lot of times his, his passes are sprayed. Um, the just in terms of understanding based off pre-snap reads where to go with the football what the defense is doing is just not at that level yet and I, I mean I, I, I hope he goes back to school goes back to Florida because he needs more time the NFL is not a developmental league um, especially a guy like this who I think he needs on-field reps you know it's, it's not like just you know sit him for a year and let him learn I, I want this guy needs to be on the field so he can see live action and get better he's a redshirt sophomore so still very very young um, it, it'll be interesting to see what he does after this year if he feels like you know what I'm because he does take a lot of hits and so he might say hey I, I'm ready to go now I'm you know uh, pres- preserve my body for the next level um, and if he does come out it'll be a really interesting evaluation because of it, it's all based on upside it, it's all based on on talent and where you think he's going to be three four years from now and and that's a really tough thing to do so I, I, I there's a he could still be a first rounder I mean, you can't rule that out 
but it, it would be really tough to take him that early when, you know, yes, he is extremely gifted, but there's just there's so much projection there, and, and that makes him a tough evaluation. Again, it's Dane Brugler, the Athletics NFL Draft Analyst, at DP Brugler, B-R-U-G-L-E-R, on Twitter. Um, Dane, when you look at, I guess I got one more on, on the quarterback front, um, any guys that you maybe or you're hearing kind of slotted day two, day three that you're keeping an eye on is maybe a guy that, hey, he's you know fourth or fifth round, but if I see a little bit more or he has a strong pro day, et cetera, you could see him moving up a little bit. Well, I think that uh, among the underclassmen, Will Rogers um, over at Mississippi State um, is a guy that, uh, you know, there's a lot of parallels with uh, Bailey Zappi, uh, who we're, you know, seeing do some nice things with the Patriots. Um, you know, a guy that uh, maybe there's nothing really explosive about him in terms of his movements, in terms of his arm, but uh, he knows where to go with the football and he understands placement. He'll throw uh, guys open consistently. So Will Rogers is a name to keep in mind if we're talking about you know those mid rounds and then with among the senior class, I really like Aiden O'Connell out of Purdue. I don't think he's going to be necessarily a guy that's pegged as an NFL starter. Um, I think he's going to be more of a backup who and maybe a possible spot starter. But he's a guy that has a lot of things going for him. And I, you know, I know uh, you know a lot of I'm sure a lot of your audience is familiar with him playing at Purdue. Uh, a guy who's a six-year senior. He's played a lot of football. Former walk-on. Um, but you know, there's a lot of things about his game that you say, okay, yeah, this will work at the next level. So I'm not saying that Aiden O'Connell is going to be an NFL starter, but he's going to be in the league for a while because uh, there's a lot of things about his game that translate. And if he gets on the field, uh, you know, he's got a chance to at least help his team win football games. Colts have a lot of uh, holes on offense. Needless to say, left tackle, another one. What are some top left left tackle prospects you could see? Uh, in the draft in the first round that could be cornerstones for a young team like the Colts? Yeah, initially, I thought this offensive tackle class was going to be a pretty weak group, uh, you know, one of the weaker positions this year. But we've seen a few underclassmen really emerge, and that, that changes things. Um, and, and the top guy uh, is Olu Fashanu from Penn State, the left tackle. Uh, this guy is only 19 years old. He's a redshirt sophomore, nine career starts. But, man, is he impressive. I mean, he's 320 pounds, but he moves like he's 250 pounds. Um, he's got that core strength, so he can sit down versus power. Uh, he's rangy. He understands angles. His hand technique's really impressive. Really smart guy who works at his craft. So, Olu Fashanu, definitely a name to keep in mind. Um, Paris Johnson, Jr. from Ohio State. Uh, he moved from right guard to left tackle this year, more natural at left tackle. He's been outstanding, zero sacks, zero penalties committed uh, for the Buckeyes. Um, and then an Indianapolis native uh, at right tackle, uh, Dewan Jones. Has yeah, been, Ben Davis uh, product. Very, yeah, very, very impressive. Now, I think he's probably more of a right tackle. That's where he's comfortable. Um, but, I mean, just, uh, just so impressed with the improvements that he has made. Six, eight and a half, 360 pounds. Over 36-inch arms, almost 90-inch wingspan. The, the, the man is humongous. Um, but the biggest difference between last year's tape and this year's tape is his balance and space. He is doing a much better job staying controlled versus those wide nine rushers. Because we know what against the you know tight splits, once he gets his hands on you, he, he, can, he can absolutely control defenders. But what about in space where he's going to face speed and uh, guys uh, trying to capture the corner? That's where Dewan Jones has made these huge strides this year. And he's put himself 
uh, in the top 50 mix. So uh, one of the bigger risers that we've seen this season. And then one other guy to mention, uh, another Big Ten. It's a very Big Ten um, strong class at tackle. Uh, Peter Skoronsky at Northwestern. Now, it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of chatter about uh, his arm length because it's going to be probably between 32 and 32 and a half inches. And for most teams, you want 34 inches or at the very least 33 inches. So there's going to be a lot of noise about Peter Skoronsky's arm length. But I tell you what, he, on tape, he, he figures it out. Uh, part of it is just how quick he is in, in his pass sets. Part of it is how smart he is, where he understands what defenders are trying to do. That's just from, from tape study. He knows, and he's, he's very natural in his movements. So I think he deserves a chance at left tackle. But at the very least, we're talking about a, a Zach Martin type of journey to go in from a college left tackle inside the guard, if that's the path that he takes. So regardless, uh, you know, the, these, uh, those four Big Ten tackles are, are all guys that are, are high in NFL radars. Another Indy native there in Zach Martin. Yeah, watching Dewan Jones play basketball in high school was quite the treat mm-hmm. with his athleticism and size. Dane, just a couple more here. And as always, thank you for the time. Again, Dane Brugler from The Athletic, NFL Draft Guru, is with us here. Um, I'm going to ask about a couple local guys. Charlie Jones from Purdue, the transfer from Iowa, has had a really strong season with Aiden O'Connell. And then up in South Bend. Um, there are some other guys outside of Michael Mayer, but I think if you watch him, you'll realize he's about the only thing Notre Dame's got in the pass catching department, and uh, he's a name that's been talked about for several years. Yeah, that Notre Dame offensive game plans uh, basically just, yeah, find 87, throw right. it to him. Yes. Uh, and, and you know what? I, that's okay because it's better than them underutilizing him uh, because they, they know what they have with Michael Mayer. He's, he's so impressive. Uh, you know, another guy with a basketball background. I mean, he wanted to play. Uh, it, you know, he thought he'd be playing Kentucky basketball uh, in college. But then in, in high school, he kind of – uh, gravitated towards football and the way his body grew and just uh, he's just a very natural football player. One, one scout put it to me like this. He, he's made out of vibranium. I mean, he is that type of toughness, that type of body type. And he's not an elite athlete. We're not talking about a Kyle Pitts, uh, maybe not even a TJ Hawkinson type of athlete, but uh, good enough where, you know, there's no wasted movements in his routes. Um, so he might not be sudden, but he's very natural in everything that he does. And he's one of the better contested catch tight ends that we've seen the last few years uh those tight windows he will win more times than not uh going up against defenders so you know, michael mayer he is pegged for the first round no doubt charlie jones uh yeah it's good to see him uh you know being able to kind of blossom um you know he started at buffalo then he goes to iowa uh you know made a lot of uh, plays on special teams but not enough on offense Okay, he leaves this summer, goes to uh, Purdue, and uh, it's been really fun to watch him uh, with his old buddy O'Connell. He's, he's got speed. I mean, this guy is a legit 4-3, low 4-4 type of athlete, um, and he's really been able to show his ball skills. He snatches the ball away from his body and makes something happen. So Charlie Jones has gone from uh, probably a priority free agent to definitely a draft pick. Dane, last one for me. Uh, in your opinion, the – Position group with the strongest and weakest groups in the 2023 draft class. Defensive line is definitely the strongest. Um, I've got my top 50, my updated top 50 um, coming out tomorrow on the Athletic. Uh, my first update since August. 
And uh, the, the most represented position is edge rusher. There's 11 guys on there. Um, it, it's a really, really loaded group. Um, and even defensive tackle is a, is a strong group this year. So defensive line, without a doubt, um, the strongest position this year. Uh, the weakest, I, I thought it might be offensive tackle, but the way that the, some of these guys have blossomed, I don't think so. Uh, maybe the interior of the offensive line, um, it, it's not a particularly strong group. I only have one in my top 50. Um, and I think it's also worth noting that wide receiver, it, we're still going to have guys go because it's receiver. Guys are going to go early, but it's not like the last few years. The last few, last three years, we've had at least five receivers in the first round every single year. We probably don't see that this year, uh, and we probably don't see a receiver in the top ten. It's just that not not that type of receiver group um, th- this year compared to the the riches that we've had the last two or three years. Interesting stuff. Again, Dane Brugler, top 50, as he said, comes out tomorrow. Check that out on The Athletic. And, Dane, hopefully we can have you on a couple more times before the draft in April. Um, his stuff is great, not only during the college season, but, of course, we'll get much more into it here when the calendar turns to 2023. Dane, safe travels around the college football world, and uh, appreciate the time. Anytime. Thank you. Again, thank you to Dane Brugler for that. Hope you guys enjoyed little bit of a draft preview i feel like it's relevant you know i know it's early still got a month to go here in the regular season for college football um but i think anytime you've benched matt ryan you've turned to sam ellinger it's time to pay a little bit of attention to that 2023 draft whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you all right eddie i am ready for twitter questions if you are i am as well you got a lot of them okay let's do them this one starts with ryan um if the colts quote really believe in and wanted to truly quote evaluate Sam Ellinger, why would they trade away a versatile weapon whose play style seemed to fit perfectly with Sam's type of game? Read options, jet sweeps, and pass catching. Couldn't they just have moved Hines in March? A fifth or sixth round pick seems like something they could have gotten after the season. Do you think it was more for Zach Moss or more for the potential fifth or sixth round pick? Like you, I'm team long-term answer at quarterback over anything else. I would take a little less in a trade later if it meant a more accurate evaluation of our current quarterback this season. Yeah, thank you, Ryan, for that. Um, I think it's well thought out. You know, I think right now, Eddie, you're naturally going to find a little bit higher trade value than you would, you know, once the season ends. Um, You know, you're getting the player for an extra eight games. You've proven yourself as, or nine games, whatever it is, you've proven yourself as, in Buffalo's case, the top team in the AFC right now. That's not necessarily like a 100% guarantee in the offseason. So I do think there's a little bit more value that you get midseason than you would in the offseason. Um, but as far as the play style is concerned, I thought we finally saw on Sunday a little bit more, and it's a shame that we won't see it because I, mean, I was talking to Joel Erickson about this day at practice. We saw it every single day at training camp, multiple plays with Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines in the backfield. And I thought really the first time we saw it for extended periods in games was on Sunday. Or, you know, on the field together. Guys motioning this way, motioning that way. Um, and I do think Ellinger accentuates that. I think the lateral ability he brings to the field helps you be multiple and and, and try and find um, you know, ways to beat the defense that way. 
Um, you know, does it diminish a little bit of the evaluation on Ellinger? I guess. I, I don't want to put too much into a guy that you know was playing 30% of the snaps mm-hmm. um, and only was averaging six touches per game. Um, so, I, in general, and I would say this no matter who the quarterback is, I just continue to think the Colts have lacked support around their quarterback. So, evaluating Ellinger would have similar um, restrictions in evaluating Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz or Philip Rivers. You know, I, I think it goes back there um, in terms of what you've put around them personnel-wise. You know, I keep on going back to this, Eddie. You bro- brought Matt Ryan here and didn't make one single offseason move outside of the draft. Offensive line, tight end, running back. Wide receiver. You know, all of them. I mean, it's not ju- – I mean, obviously I was very vocal for a wideout, and I watched Marty Cooper on Monday night, and I'm thinking, he went for what? Like, oh boy, a team with a lot of cap space could have used Amari Cooper. I wonder who had a lot of cap space and could have used Amari Cooper. Oh. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think it is, I don't think I'm gonna get to the end of the year and be like, uh, I don't feel like I saw enough out of Sam because Naheem Hines was traded away. I don't think I'll, I will be doing that, but I understand the question. Also look at what, uh, Atlanta did with Calvin Ridley, sending him to Jacksonville. Yeah. How about that? That's a, some wild. A fifth and a sixth. Yeah. It could. Turn, did I see it can turn into a second at some point? I don't know. I didn't see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that Jacksonville group's got some names. Mm. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones. Yeah, I'm... Uh, Marvin Jones. And they need it right now because... Evan Ingram. London, <laughs> London did not go well for him. No, it did not. Uh, next question is from Bryce. Uh, why would the non-play-calling offensive coordinator be the first to go? What changes now? It's Frank's playbook. It's his play-calling. What was Marcus Brady's role outside of maybe designing plays with such a heavily hand... Uh, with such a heavy hand from Frank over the offense. Thanks, Kev. Yeah, Bryce, I mean, again, there's a level of just a scapegoat here uh, with this move, whether the Colts want to say it or not. Um, you know, Frank Reich was asked today about Chris Strasser. Um, seemed to say that, you know, kind of past history with Stross, he feels like is good, and there's a lot of good evidence of lines playing well. He feels like the line has played a little bit better in recent weeks. Um, I would argue the bar was so low in the earlier weeks. Uh, you can only go up from here, but you know, as far as blame coaching-wise, offensively, I would have put Frank Reich and Chris Strasser above Marcus Brady. But this is just these are how these things go. Did Pep Hamilton deserve to be fired in the middle of the 2015 season? No, he did not. But oftentimes, this is what happens. It's not the main person that goes; it's the person probably just under that main person that goes. Now the question becomes, what do you see from there? In 2015, it was Ryan Grigson getting fired after the end of that season and not Chuck Pagano. After this season, what will we see in regards to any more moves on that front? Travis is up next. If Frank Reich is blaming Marcus Marcus Brady for the offensive woes, doesn't that mean Nick Sirianni deserves the credit for the previous offense and not Frank Reich by that logic? <laughs> Yeah, that's another thing I think to point out of a lot of people were Marcus Brady related. I I guess I probably should have made this clear. Marcus Brady's background, Eddie, had nothing to do with Frank Reich before coming here in 2018. Marcus Brady's background was CFL. Um, It's not like Marcus Brady was Press Taylor 
or Shane Steichen, you know, the, these guys that we see with Sirianni and Reich that were in Philly or were with the Chargers and had that background. You know, Sirianni had that background. So Sirianni, he knows this offense extremely well. And he was with Phillip Rivers with the Chargers. Marcus Brady came here and learned this offense. You know, first, he was an assistant quarterback's coach. Um, and I have no doubt that by the end of it, Marcus Brady had a tremendous grasp of the system, but it still doesn't you know, have the same sort of offensive background experience, seen it in games, you know, Sirianni's case, you know, did it with Reich for several seasons with the Chargers. And I'll go back to what I said earlier. Um, and again, I don't, th- this will sound like I'm ripping Marcus Brady, but I just think it was two, two similar cooks in the kitchen, too similar with their personalities. And I think you need a little bit of a different nature with that. I, I think you would see that across any coaching staff, um, regardless of the level of football. Could you also say the same thing about marriage? You don't marry the same a person who's very like you. There you go. Same core beliefs. Look at that. Marriage advice here on Kevin's Corner. Good luck to everybody (laughs) with those nuptials coming up. Uh, Next one is from Andy. Uh, Why the lack of diversity with play calling in the run game? Yeah, Andy, that is a good point. Um, You know, I think something that is not talked about enough and we've mentioned on this pod a good amount, uh, but I would say kind of outside would be which tight end does boring well? Jack Doyle's missed. And I think when you think about a zone run scheme, Jack Doyle's ability to kind of just seal off an edge was so important. I feel like I've seen more than ever guys crashing down from those areas or just beating Mo Cox or Jelani Woods or Kylan Granson in those moments, I throw in Zach Pascal's name. You know, I, I think I've seen more and more of that of it's not just guys straight up the middle making plays against Jonathan Taylor and the run game. I feel like it's guys crashing. Um, so I would point to some of that. And, yeah, I, I would say there's been a little bit more of a lack of diversity there. I wouldn't have mind to see a few more perimeter runs to try and – and I thought you did see this on sun, Sunday, just to try and kind of open some things up laterally with yeah. Campbell, with Hines, uh, those sorts of guys where you can put some pressure on the defense that way um, to where they're not you know cheating so much into that box, into that confined area. I think the one thing that the Colts are going to lose with Hines, now that I'm thinking about it more that we didn't – that I didn't come to mind when we were talking about this earlier is the 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 motion in the offense because you can put him out in the slot and you can move him from one side of the line to the right. other side of the line to help out Sam Ellinger. And again, this is different than Deion Jackson. And who knows? Maybe Deion will turn into this. I'm curious to see if Paris Campbell does a little bit more of this. When Naheem Hines is in the huddle, you don't know where he's going to line up. Mm-hmm. You don't say that about everybody in that huddle. So I think that's what makes him really unique. But Campbell has the running back background. You know, he, he he mentioned that in his high school days. And, you know, the thing with Campbell, I guess I'm going off into a little bit of a Campbell thing. We've never got to a point with him where it's like, he's healthy enough to talk about his skill set. Yeah. Well, now he is. I mean, he's played, I think it's most games he's played in his career. Eight games in. You know, it, it's wild to say. But what he showed on Sunday was such a, whoa, that now we talk about the skill set. You just hope he stays healthy, but now you're thinking, okay, this is how he can be utilized. 
Yeah, Rick Venturi a couple times during the broadcast, uh, he'd be like, whoa, he Paris looks fast. Yeah. yeah Paris looks I, fast again. I was always nervous that Harrison Smith hit. You know, did it take him from 4-3-1 to 4-4-5? And that's a big deal, you know, when you're oh, involving yeah. a guy like that. So, yeah, Campbell... Campbell showed me. I thought that was the best game of his career. I know people will argue, you know, some other games, but do, do we have a Campbell question? I felt like we did. Uh, uh, sure we hold off on that. Yeah, we do. Okay, it's uh, four away. I'll, I'll, I'll hold off on my Campbell thoughts. Do you want to go to the Campbell question now? Then, uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, it's from Big Bama. Uh, what are your thoughts on how Paris Campbell has been playing these last few weeks? I know you said next year you wouldn't mind seeing a one-year prove-it deal. But do you think, along with Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce as complement wide receivers, uh, they each can complement each other with their skill sets moving forward? Yeah, and you know this is obviously what the Colts are going for back in 2019 when they had Hilton at the time, they signed Devin Funchess, and they drafted Campbell. You know, they drafted Campbell instead of DK Metcalf, and some because they wanted the complementary skill sets. Um, but going back to Sunday, I thought what stood out to me about Campbell so much, Eddie, was whether it was a screen. Or the jet sweep, both of those are giving him the football behind the line of scrimmage. And then he goes and makes the play. And that's something we haven't seen out of him. You know, we haven't seen enough of the here's the quick little dump off. Let's watch you go make something happen in the open field. Uh, obviously, the guy that I think about the most with that is what San Francisco is able to do with Debo Samuel. Mm-hmm. You know, I think starting to see more of that with Campbell. Um, because he was, you know, the Percy Harvin in the Urban Meyer offense. Again, the heavy running back background for him before Ohio State. That was always the thought with him, and he just hasn't been healthy enough, I think, to showcase that uh, here in the NFL. Tavon Austin, another similar. Tavon Austin, yep. Yep. Uh, Vincent, um, I want to believe that this Colts defense is legit. They're limiting limiting, uh, opposing offenses to around 20 points per game seems legit however all season we've been playing from behind this makes me wonder if we're not seeing something similar to what we see with the offensive players on bad teams scoring in garbage time are these elite defensive performances really the result of the opposing teams playing not to lose are they keeping those numbers low because teams are trying to run the ball into clock yeah that's a good question um I guess define legit is where I'd go first. You know, I kind of look at slightly above average. I mean, when you look at the quarterbacks and offenses that you've played this year, they don't qualify as juggernauts. You know, you've played five AFC South opponents. You played played Kansas City. Taylor Heineke. Yeah, Kansas City would be the one outlier. Obviously, Denver and Washington would not fall into that. I still think I like a lot of what I've seen from from the defense. I'd probably slot them again. Slightly above average, and you'll have the opportunity to prove yourself against a much better competition offensively here down the stretch. Uh, need the timely turnovers, need the timely sacks. I think that's the thing that's missing. Th- that edge pressure, I mean, I was really high on Yannick Ngakwe. His sacks at the end of the year will probably end up being close to the eight or nine number he's always hovered around, but I just, I'd like a few more pressures. I don't feel like the consistent rush has been there. Um, so, yeah, I guess a lot of it's just kind of what you qualify as legit. I mean, legit to me sounds like top five. I I, I can't go there. You know, I probably slot this defense again right around like 10 to 12-ish. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Flippin has made another appearance on the pod. Uh, typically, teams in the Colts situation when move players for draft compensation, given that Ballard is on the hot seat, would he be more inclined to sit still and retain talent to hopefully win more games this year, signaling a rebu- uh, rebuild, maybe duh, digging his own grave, right? Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. It's a question I cut through to Stephen Holder this morning. We had him on our show. What... Did Chris Ballard do on Tuesday, or what did he did not do to tell you anything about what he thinks about his future? Hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing with Ballard that I scratched my head at, he has always said this from day one, and he's got some examples of it. And the Colts franchise has, I always think of Mike Adams as like the name, or Mike Mitchell even, as you know, guys that were acquired... Adams would have been a Grigson signing. Mitchell would have been a, a, a Ballard signing. As guys signed outside of the major free agent window, a.k.a. March. Justin Houston? Uh, and making a good impact. I thought Houston was kind of late March. At basically, get out of the spring wave. You know, Adams yeah. was June. Mitchell was in season. You know, Ballard is adamant. Roster acquisition, roster acquiring, you know, whatever you want to call it. What Roster tweaking is a 12-month a year process. I look where things stand right now with this Colts roster and think to myself, okay, based off that logic, think about the outside of the building moves the Colts have made since training camp. You've signed a kicker because your first kicker stunk. Mm-hmm. And stunk probably sounds too harsh, although he did miss a big kick. I saw he just got... Subpar. Yeah. Subpar with old hot rod there. Okay, so a kicker. Uh, you traded for a special teams linebacker in Grant Stewart. And the only other outside of the building move that I can think of, again, guys brought on to your 53-man roster, guys that have made an impact in a game, that's kind of where I qualify mm-hmm. for that, would be um, Luke Tenuta, who I don't think is around anymore. He was the waiver claim from Buffalo. So... All I, you know, 12 month a year, 12 month a year, you can always find guys. Well, since training camp, you've evaluated your entire roster through training camp. You evaluated your team through three preseason games. You're now nine games, eight games into the regular season. And the three outside of the building moves are a kicker, an offensive tackle that's no longer here, and a special teams linebacker. So. You know, when we're putting blame and absolving guys from things, uh, this is a big Ballard core belief. This is what he often says when he sits out spring free agency of, hey, we can add guys at all months of the year. Well, since August, it's been very quiet on that front. You know, when you see move, first, I don't think they've made a ton. Usually it's just kind of practice squad moves yeah. that they make. But it's not like those guys have been promoted then to the active roster. And I don't know, maybe I'm forgetting somebody. But those are the names that have popped into my head. I can't think of anything I either. Just can't think of anybody else. Um, How would you answer that question you lobbied up to Stephen Holder? What did? Uh, yeah, the- that's good. That, yeah, that's this is why you're a good uh, a good producer. Um, 
boy, to Flippin's point, I hope that it doesn't say, you know, I'm nervous about my job, so therefore I don't need to add future draft capital. We need to try and win now. You'd like to think you could sit Naeem Hines down, and if he wanted to leave, you could be like, hey, man, we're going to use you more. I promise. You know, almost <laughs> beg him a little bit and, and, and go that route. Um, you know, Bowers' MO has never been one to actively um, sell at the deadline. I'd argue they've never been in this position. I heard some rumors about Ryan Kelly. I think the Ryan Kelly film probably speaks for itself with this contract situation. Um, again, I brought up linebacker. Julian Blackman was a name of like, okay, is Rodney Thomas playing more? You know, some of those names. But um, I don't have a great read on Ursay Bauer. Part of me thinks if you're going to ask me right now, Ursay keeps Bauer and Wright goes. That's kind of just a gut feeling, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, that's it's a good question. <laughs> There's a reason why I asked it and didn't have a great answer for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could you could read into it both ways, Eddie. Yeah, you can easily read into it both both ways. And Ballard's just very cool. We got a didn't we have a question about Ballard? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, it's from Patrick. Yeah. Um, he said, "Is there any way we see Chris Ballard speak to the media? There must be some accountability." Have you seen him in the last month? And I can confirm we have seen him. Yeah, we saw him um, outside the locker room. After the loss to the um, Titans, right? Yes. Yeah, we did see him. Um, I saw him on Sunday during the two-minute warning. We both were peeing. Nice. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Both peeing. Hey, Kevin, how are you? Um, We did not exchange any pleasantries. Uh, He went into the stall. I I, I just said urinal is good for me. He's a Um, stall guy. Stall guy. Um I don't blame him. I probably would. I probably wouldn't want to be bothered and thinking to myself, God, is Kevin Bowen going to try and make some awkward hello? Like, I mean, what do you say at that point? Uh, good luck. Hope the pass rush gets home. You yeah. know, like yeah, it's just kind of an awkward moment. Still need wide receiver, uh, but I, that probably wouldn't wouldn't go over very well. Um, so yeah, I, I have seen him, um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, we're only at the first twenty minutes of practice. I haven't seen him at the complex at all. He's decided not to talk. Clearly. Uh, I thought I saw Brandon Bean. I believe the Buffalo GM talked today after their trade. I think every team that acquired a player spoke today. I know Miami's did. Really? I know Buffalo's did. Yeah, that's pretty normal. If you make a move for the deadline, your GM will talk. Um, I think Chicago's, I think Pohl spoke for Chicago. I don't know. Yeah, you know, and I do think Bowd is usually pretty accommodating with the media and is pretty like. You know, there are GMs that talk far less during the offseason than Ballard. Um, but I do think the fact that you just trade away a player you gave an extension to a year and a half ago, you fire your offensive coordinator, um, I do think there's a level of your fan base deserves to hear. And I feel like Frank Reich is up there answering questions he shouldn't be answering. I mean, hell, Eddie, I asked Frank Reich today, you know, hey, did Naeem Hines um, request to be traded? Yeah, I don't really want to get into that. I mean, to be honest with you, those conversations were you know pretty much about ninety percent with Chris. You know, part of me just wants to go up to Frank after the press conference and be like, "I understand that. Unfortunately, you're the only voice right now. We're not hearing from the owner. We're not hearing from the GM. So, you're all we got." And I just get the feeling watching Frank in these pressers, he almost if Frank was a a normal human being, not a bad human being, a normal human being, 
As soon as that mic turned off, he'd be like, guys, you know I can't answer that. You want me to go get Jim or Chris? <laughs> Those are some of the questions, but you got to ask him. Yeah. Because, again, he is the voice right now that we're hearing. So, yeah, we're not seeing Ballard anywhere. Uh, nothing today. Um, yeah, to, to, to answer the question, I thought he should have talked today. Um, and I don't even think we've seen him on the uh, radio show, right? He hasn't. Usually he makes a couple of he appearances on that. We've not uh, seen him with Matt Taylor either. Um, before we go to the next Ballard question, just kind of my thought here. I know Colts fans, you and I included, both want to hear Chris Ballard speak. Certainly you want to ask him a couple questions, but at the end of the day, is it going to be any different than any other time he speaks? It's going to be, oh, uh, well, we're not, you see, man, we got a, we got a lot of great guys. Yeah, we got I, a great team. I, I know there's a lot of Ballard cliches, but I do think he offers some honest answers. I do. I mean, it's not every single question, but I do think there are moments throughout press conferences where um, his voice offers, and, and there is some honesty. I also just think you just need to hear from his voice. If you're going to hear, fair, you know, black or gray answers from Frank Reich, then you need to hear him from Chris Ballard because, again, in the hierarchy of things, Ballard is above Reich and Ursay is above Ballard and. I think there are decisions that have been made that are not just Frank Reich's decisions across the board here throughout this season. Uh, this is from Stefan. Uh, do you think these last two to three years with Chris Ballard, he was resting on early success with certain draft picks and players? He clearly missed on making this team better the last two years and seems like he's going to continue the same process. Reich needs to walk and we hire a defensive head coach and allow a good play caller to run the offense. With Carson well long gone, who does Jim Ursay blame for a mediocre team? Also, why would he come out to say he wasn't going to fire Frank Reich? I think it's well-deserved, but if Frank Reich goes, Chris Ballard should pick uh, should pack it up as well. He has hired the man, and yet he hasn't gotten his proper players to succeed on Sundays. Thanks, KB. You're the best Colts pod and news media for us fans. Appreciate what you and your crew do daily and weekly. Stefan, thank you. That, that, that means a lot. Um, you know, as far as the Ursa comments, as I was saying on Monday, he's controlling the message, trying to control the message, put out the fire. You know, Ballard resting on success. I don't know if it's necessarily that. Um, again, I just probably point to a little bit, you know, a little bit more of a stubbornness. Stringent on core beliefs, not willing to adapt, not not willing to allow the results to influence process. That's where I would put it. And I, I mean, hell, I'll go back to what I just said a few minutes ago. You know, roster acquisition, twelve percent, or um, twelve months out of the year, and look at the names that have been acquired so far this year. Uh, Eddie, I got about five minutes. How many questions we got left? We have three left. Okay, let's uh, let's hit them all. Um, I have a quick note: uh, the Lions GM is talking right now too after trading T.J. Hawkinson. So. There's another GM that's. Yeah, and been- I get there are different levels of the trade, but if Brandon Bean's talking to Buffalo, that's like the equivalent of Bauer talking here. And it's not like Brandon Bean extended Naheem Hines a year and a half ago. Uh, this is from JFG from Germany. He's mm. saying, Greetings from Germany. Um, after seeing Josh McDaniel's performance so far in Las Vegas, is it fair to say the Colts dodged the bullet? Also, what does that say about Chris Ballard as a staff evaluator? 
boy, I thought the Raiders would be good. <laughs> How wrong was I on that? I um, think we were both wrong on that. You know, the whole McDaniels thing is interesting. Like, that stain on Ballard's resume. Should that be more of a stain? I, I'll be honest with you. I haven't, like, focused too much on that. You know, I think there's other roster-building areas with Ballard that I'm a little bit more critical of. Um, there's obviously some things he's done really well draft-wise. But... Yeah, does this qualify as like his third head coaching chance if and when he is still here and Frank Reich is gone? It's definitely not a great look, but yeah, hindsight's obviously very, very 2020 on that. Like, would McDaniels have had the same lack of success here that he did that he has had with the Raiders so far? If I'm not mistaken, did McDaniels get off to a horrific start in Denver, or did he get off to a good start and then it went tailspun? It tail it tailspun after the great start. He started like five or six and zero. Oh. Is that Tebow? They won the playoffs with Tebow. I don't. Right? I can't remember. Uh, I know that was no Sean Moreno time. So Woo-hoo, what a name right there, JFG. Thank you for tuning in from Germany. Uh, in the history of modern football, has there ever been more of a collective regression than the Colts' star offensive lineman? This is from Connor. Seriously, did you notice any aliens lurking around the Colts' training camp uh, <laughs> facilities? There is a bit in the movie. Uh, hold on, let me restart this. There is a bit in the movie Space Jam where aliens sneak into the NBA games and steal the talents of players like Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan, uh, who then proceed to try and play without any of their basketball abilities. That is what it's like watching the Colts' offensive line this season, and I love the analogy, Connor. How about that from Connor? Um you know, Eddie, I think we did see some signs of this in camp, though. With uh, Detroit, we already talked Detroit about that. Detroit joint practices, those preseason games. I know they weren't long periods in the game, but there was like, whoa. Tampa Bay? Man, they don't line there. Yeah, Tampa, I mean, remember the first preseason game in Buffalo? Buffalo yeah. doesn't play any of their starters. The Colts play their starters. Reich leaves them in an extra series because uh, he's not happy. Uh, the O-line, all of them, even the veteran guys, had a little bit of that. So I do think there were some signs here of it in the offseason. But, you know, at that point, again, the bulk of your roster building is kind of done. Uh, last question comes from Mason. Maybe I'm a bit grouchy from watching the worst football of my life with this question. Often we talk about the players the Colts need to resign with this team. I find myself thinking about the worst contracts uh, they have today. What are your top three? Hines, obviously gone. Braden Smith and now Matt Ryan. Let's draft one, please. I don't, Eddie, I don't, no, I'm not going there on Braden Smith. I think Braden Smith is your best offensive lineman this season. And I, what's that, 18 a year? I, I'm not going to, I think there are others I'd put a, above Braden Smith. I'd put Ryan Kelly. I'd put Matt Ryan, of course. Hines probably would have been because of your usage. You could make the argument, and we'll see. Um, if Shaquille Leonard does not make that interception in the fourth quarter, and again, that's the first full game, and he didn't play a full game, but first game back in over a year. I mean, he had some rough moments, mm-hmm. rough moments on Sunday. So that, I think, is something to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, I would slot those others. Definitely Ryan, definitely Kelly above. I mean, hell, I would slot Foles. Yeah, I I know it's not like anything too too big, but there's just no need. For, I mean, Foles was here to be a one to two game stop cap if Matt Ryan goes down. That's it. Obviously, Matt Ryan's not your starter, so you don't make. I don't think you. God, Whoa, fell over there. Um, 
<laughs> I don't think I've seen someone trip and almost fall sitting down. <laughs> well, defy athleticism over here. <laughs> um, there's honestly really no need for Foles. I don't think Foles is here if Matt Ryan wasn't your starter at the beginning of the year. I, I should probably look into some other contracts, but those would be the ones that I would put. All right, it's Wednesday. Uh, last pod until next week, which means, as always, time to make your prediction. Colts, Patriots, five and a half is the line. Patriots are favored. Total is 39. 19 16 Patriots. Um, That's what I had last week for the Commanders game. Did you? Yeah, I think it'll be a big test for Ellinger. Obviously, step up. We'll see about Jonathan Taylor, um, you know, Belichick. And I think last year, it probably was not the ideal result. For this game, because I think they realize, you know, what that run game can do and how much of a focus they had on you. And I thought they did a nice job against Wentz when they did try and throw it. Um, you know, we remember the Kyle Duggar, Michael Pittman situation during that game, that ejection. Um, I'm going to go 1916. I'm going to go uh, 169 Patriots. Gosh, eyes bleed. Oh, man. It's supposed to be beautiful. In Foxborough. Uh, he's Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. Go Irish. Beat Clemson. We'll talk to you Monday.